0: Welcome to Asia Perspectives from the Economist Intelligence Unit. I'm Jason Winsunis, Senior Editor for Thought Leadership in Hong Kong. And our topic today is about China's food safety, security, and sustainability. From China's war on food waste to strains of COVID-19 showing up on cold chain packages, how the world's still most populous nation feeds itself has implications for the entire region, as well as the rest of the globe. Food is one of the most traded commodities, and yet, at the same time, it can be deeply personal to culture and family. A common greeting that you might hear in Hong Kong, for instance, is, did you eat yet? Rather than, how are you? But aside from culture, China's fragmented supply chains, regulatory enforcement issues, and of course, the growing threats from climate change, all add up to a long and short-term set of risks for food supply. The Economist Intelligence Unit has taken a deep look at this topic through expert interviews and extensive data analysis to identify gaps and highlight some steps that the government has already taken, as well as some comparisons to international best practices that might apply in China. So to discuss China's food future, I've asked EIU consultant Michael Frank and senior analyst Ritu Bandari to the podcast to talk about the research. So welcome, Michael. Thanks, Jason. And welcome, Ritu.
1: Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here.
0: So to start us off, maybe just tell us a bit about the background of this research. What was the impetus and what was the goal?
2: You know, this year there has been a lot of focus on supply chains and food in particular. I think back to the beginning of of the pandemic in a lot of places, how you had people rushing to to grocery stores and, and empty shelves. Uh, for a lot of a lot of people particularly in in advanced economies is probably the first time they had seen empty shelves in their lifetime uh but ultimately you know this is a source of 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 great anxiety over the last year um uh, particularly for the reasons that you talk about in, in the intro the fact that food is so personal and and uh, it's so such a universal part of the human experience And, uh, you know, we thought it was a good time to explore some of these disruptions. And at the same time, it's really timeless uh, for the same reason that, uh, you know, for as long as as uh, as civilization has existed, you have governments, businesses, households trying to figure out how to put food on the table. So. Uh, we felt it was is the right time, and and yet uh, there's plenty to talk about, not just related to to COVID 19, uh, but a lot of other really important trends in food supply chains.
0: So COVID has you know obviously been a, a major issue in every industry, and especially the food supply. I mean, we've had virus outbreaks in some of the major meatpacking facilities in the U.S. I keep seeing these headlines about virus found on frozen salmon shipments in China. But actually, one of the the first things that you highlight in the report is an entirely different disease vector, which is the African swine fever or ASF. And that has apparently devastated China's pork supply. Tell us about that situation.
2: Yeah, for all of the talk about how COVID was going to impact supply chains, if you look at the food supply chain around the world, not just in China, African swine fever has uh, has had a far greater impact so far going into the the Af- African swine fever epidemic uh in China the the population of hogs was about 440 million and just in the last couple of years that number has halved uh largely through culling uh because uh they need to they they need to um try to to get rid of the infected pigs and start with a start again with a healthier population but this is something that's going on globally as well. And 25% of, of the world's pig supply, uh, pre ASF, uh, has been, has been called. So, you know, you think about, uh, particularly in this part of the world, how, how important, uh, pork is as, as a, a staple for, for dinner tables for many families. You know, this is, this is a big deal, uh, as you mentioned culturally, but certainly, uh, you look at the economic impact uh the, the, there's been a rather predictable effect which is uh the price of of pork is is going up and that makes a big difference uh in in uh you know you look at your average chinese household uh what people are making and uh what food represents as part of their budget uh, that's a that's a pretty real economic challenge at the household level
0: so in your research were you able to come up with any kind of solutions i mean is this a matter of profit motive among suppliers is it inadequate safety regulations or the enforcement of them
2: well we lo- we looked in our report at what types of solutions are available to to modernize china's food supply chain in general and and we actually looked at a few different disruptions as you mentioned african swine fever was one of them the COVID-19 pandemic, but we also looked at disruptions uh, stemming from climate change and environmental degradation. And so our solutions, I think we felt, the, the team felt, really apply to all those disruptions in making China's food supply chain more resilient. We started by looking at the experience of other countries that have world-leading food supply chains. And uh, from our, our Global Food Security Index, uh, we, we identified the United States, Germany, and Japan as three of the world leaders. And we were able to find a lot of uh, best practices, uh, policy measures from those countries that we thought could apply in, in a Chinese context. One example of that is if you look at uh, the, the United States Food and Drug Administration, one of the the great uh, regulatory tools they have at their disposal is food recalls and product recalls they will issue quite a few uh product recalls in a given year and that power is binding uh, it's backed by uh the courts and uh and and legislation and ultimately uh, the effect of having that that very significant power just to, to order a company to take its products off shelves and stop the supply chain has had this effect of uh, the the industry ending up policing itself because uh, that's going to be catastrophic for, the, to, for the, to the bottom line. And it's a very credible threat. So that's just one example. But I think we found quite a few policies and, and commercial best practices uh, that we thought could help uh, China's food supply chain modernize.
0: And is there any indication that the Chinese government might follow up on those?
2: I think there is. I mean, we've just launched this report just in the last few weeks. So we we do feel it's quite fresh. And uh, at the the same time, there's a broad focus at the highest levels of of Chinese uh, political leadership to focus on food security and sustainability. And you look at uh, the recent Clean Plates campaign uh, that uh, that uh, Xi Jinping himself referenced in in a speech this fall. Uh, you look at the 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 media coverage of these issues just in the last few months. It's pretty clear, I think, to us that the Chinese government is taking these issues very seriously. And you know, our hope is that there there's some 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 learning going on from. Uh, cases where, uh, where where you have world leading supply chains that have been able to rectify some of the challenges that that China's food supply chain currently faces.
0: Now, can we tie any of that into the global picture? I mean, how does say African swine fever in China affect dinner tables elsewhere?
2: You know, ultimately, I think food supply chains globally are much more interconnected than people realize and to start with you look at african swine fever alone just take the accounting cost of all of this because of the, the global impact of of this disease on 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 hog populations any consumer anywhere for the most part is going to be is going to see um those price increases translated to their local supermarket their their local market uh, these these uh demand effects have uh, very real consequences for people who are thousands of miles away. And, uh, you know, that's just one example. But uh, as I mentioned, these other disruptions that we looked at as well, climate change, environmental degradation, uh, human epidemics, uh, you know, so much of food these days is, is traded. And the food that isn't traded is still subject to global market pressures. And so, it's really important, I think, uh, particularly given China's share of global population, that China's food supply chain does modernize. Uh, that will have benefits for everybody, uh, just because of the sheer uh, the sheer weight in the marketplace that Chinese consumers have now.
0: So, China is, you know, obviously an enormous country with a huge population. You know, clearly that's not a secret. Uh, but something that might be a little bit less clear to folks on average is that a lot of its landmass is mountainous and desert, and it's not great or even impossible to farm. So, even though in terms of square miles, China might be comparable, say, to the US, its arable land and water resources are a lot less, right? This is something you've covered in the report. You say that per capita, it's actually far below world averages.
2: Yeah, it's it's probably the single most important stat when you look at why China's political leadership is concerned about food security and and sustainability. And uh you know, another way that's manifested is in the way that land is farmed. What land is under cultivation, uh, as you mentioned, these are it's generally of a lower quality than in a lot of other places, and so you end up using a lot more fertilizer as well. Um, you know that's just one example of of how these these pressures can they they kind of compound, and you know ultimately I think one of the one interesting uh, fact we came across in our research I think that blew us all away was if you look at current trajectories what the with the land that China currently has under cultivation. Given all of the environmental degradation and the, the significant uh, demand, China can probably only produce about half as many calories as its people need going forward. I mean, that's a shocking shortfall, right? Um, on the flip side, if China was able to uh, convert a lot of that production towards, you know, more more vegetarian. Uh, uh, p- production and you look at alternative uh, alternative meat products that are made ba- primarily from soybeans. Um, you know there there are still some some health and environmental shortcomings with those products as well. But you would probably be able to produce a multiple of the food that you would need. In China to support the Chinese population, so this is where you know this this intersection of of safety, security, and sustainability I think is really evident is in that initial statistic you cited about you know the the share of arable land per capita. Um, it's it's really a stark challenge, but but it's also not dire. I mean, there are solutions that we highlight in the report that will help China be able to manage with the land that it currently has.
0: Now, one of the economic areas that China has really taken a lead in over the past decade is is retail, particularly e-commerce. You know, you, you hear about uh, all the money that's made on 1111 uh, or Singles Day. But it's also true of traditional retail stores in in China. I mean, the US retail giant Walmart has stores there, but they're really not keeping up. With the local competition, you know, we hear a lot about uh, Alibaba's Hema stores, for example, where digital and real worlds are supposed to come together seamlessly. Uh, there's a huge amount of automation. Distribution centers in China with millions of packages, including food, shipping out hours around the clock, uh, and prepared food delivery. Some of our colleagues in Beijing, for example, have told me it's so efficient that you don't even see. Much in the way of frozen food meals available in supermarkets, you know, like you do in the West, where whole aisles might be dedicated to the category because you can have a hot dinner delivered in minutes. Uh, yet you found that maybe things aren't always so ultra modern everywhere. Like, understand, I guess, that things may not be so evenly distributed in this respect across the country.
2: Absolutely. I think we, you know, we were. Uh... Always fascinated speaking with some of uh, the, the the industry experts that we did interview for this program, and the just, juxtaposition that you highlight, where you have some incredible ultra modern stories, and at the same time, um, you know there's a there's a, a there, there's a factory in the northern part of the country that keeps having um, it, 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 foodborne illness challenges and they they found out that ultimately people weren't washing their hands in the winter time because there was no hot water and it's a frozen factory in in a place that's you know probably snowing um you know there there reports of you know uh refrigerated trucks that uh you know maybe they have these guidelines around how how much they can transport or how far they have to go or uh, a certain times that that the the car uh, rather the truck has to be powered to make sure that you're not losing the the cold environment and a lot of cases people just aren't really following these these guidelines and they're maybe they're not even necessarily binding. So there is that juxtaposition and you know I would even call attention to you know the fact that yes, the, you know, I think for a lot of us we always think of you know, uh, you want to eat as much fresh food as you possibly can. Uh, and, you know, primarily for health reasons, I think that's great. Uh, but, you know, you look at the food in China that goes through the cold chain. Uh, it's probably only about somewhere in the, the realm of 20 to 30 percent, if I recall correctly. Now, you compare that to a place like Japan, where about 90 percent of food products go through a cold chain at some point. Now, Something you said at the top of the show here, Jason, is culture is so important, and you know, I, 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 could, I totally agree. And it's important to recognize the local context. But I think you know we're sitting here in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, a lot of us would would generally look to Japan as as being a you know another East Asian culture with a heavy emphasis on food, and and you know, th- there's still a lot of food going through through the cold chain. Uh, and, you know, is that a sign of modernity? Um, at the very least, you know, I think we can agree that you know, it's, it's something that's probably really important to reduce, um, uh, foodborne illness and improve consumer health. Uh, but also you just look at, you know, lengthening supply chains and it becomes a matter of f- food, um, food security as well. Uh, the more food that you can put in that cold chain, preserve it. Um, keep it closer to the consumer longer. That's really important.
0: So the report focuses uh, a lot on issues like that where the, the three pillars kind of come together, the food safety, the security, the sustainability, and you detail you know each of those separately. But uh, you also mentioned more about how, how they're intertwined. Uh, Ritu, can you tell us more about that intertwining?
1: Sure. Uh, So we did study these three issues uh, very distinctly, but we find that they are, in fact, very, very deeply intertwined, as you mentioned. Um, For example, a lot of food safety incidents in China stem from land and water pollution. So, hazardous chemicals, which are used in different industries and factories, find their way into the land and water, not just polluting these land and water resources, but also finding their way into the food that people eat and uh, you know this this kind of really shows a direct link between food sustainability and food safety. Another area uh, or another example that I want to uh, draw attention to is of food wastage which we have also covered very extensively in our report Um, so this is an issue of food security because We have this food available uh, that's being wasted either by producers or consumers or in the supply chain. On the other hand, we have all these people who are not getting enough food to eat. On the other hand, additionally, this food uh, wasted also causes a lot of emissions, which is almost equivalent to emissions from uh, global road transport emissions. So um, this, this also demonstrates a fundamental linkage between the two issues of food uh, security and sustainability.
0: So for more on the sustainability part, what are the challenges here for China? Is it, is it a matter of pollution? Is it, is, it air, is it the arable land issue? Is it carbon emissions from agriculture at scale? Like what are the biggest challenges?
1: China is one of the largest carbon emitters in the world. And when we specifically look at greenhouse gas emissions from agricultural production in China, it is much higher than some of the other countries like the U.S. Um, in China, it's almost 16 to 17 percent, if I if I recall, as compared to the U.S., where it's about six to seven percent. There are a few uh, three or four key challenges that we've identified from our research. First, um, China has relied very heavily on chemical fertilizers and pesticides to increase its crop yield. In fact, uh, Chinese farmers apply more than three to four times the amount of chemical fertilizers uh, and pesticides per hectare uh, used in the European Union or the United States. And uh, forecasts suggest that this could significantly reduce the country's food production capacity in the future, uh, you know, prompting a food security crisis. Secondly, emissions from the meat industry are are an area of concern. Um, More than half of the emissions in the food industry come from the meat sector. Our report has highlighted uh, solutions like uh, artificial or plant-based meats, which could be a more sustainable alternative here. Third is the issue of pollution. Um, So if we take water pollution, China's water resources are scarce. Um, Fertilizer usage, overfishing, industrial pollution are some of the factors that have increased water pollution over the years. Finally, China also has a growing problem of food waste, uh, which is also responsible for significant emissions, as I pointed out earlier.
0: So those all sound like big problems. Were you guys able to find any solutions to propose?
1: Yeah. So um, before I talk about solutions, I do want to point out that uh, our research did find that Chinese government has already shown strong commitment to food sustainability, uh, be it through their updates of policies and regulations and implementation, especially in the recent years. Uh, But we also found some other areas which which can be targeted and need to be targeted, uh, particularly incentivizing and nudging some of the non-governmental actors who have a very important role to play in the area of food sustainability. Uh, We identified three key areas. Um, Firstly, incentivizing farmers to adopt more sustainable modes of or models of food production, uh, like intercropping, which is already being adopted in China, but uh, incentivizing them to do this at a much larger scale than what's already being done can help. Secondly, increasing consumer awareness is another trend that can make a difference. For example, in the US, consumer pressure has been a very significant driver of reform, um, as we've seen from rising consumption of organic food. Finally, private sector also has a very crucial role to play. Um, Nudging private companies to set emission targets can be helpful. Um, As compared to some other countries in our our, uh, research, like Germany, Japan, and the United States, we found that much lesser companies in China have set uh, emission reduction targets. Uh, So that can help as well.
0: Now, we've talked a bit about uh, food safety issues like with the African swine fever earlier. Uh, But there were also other issues that you mentioned in the report that while I was reading it reminded me of Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, which is about the U.S. in the 1920s, uh, you know, a century ago. But a lot of the uh, similarities are quite remarkable. Uh, China's baby formula scandal from 2008 comes to mind that still drives sales here in Hong Kong. Um, What other challenges like that did you find and, and what kind of solutions are there?
1: Definitely. In fact, both African swine fever and, in fact, even the COVID-19 pandemic have come uh, in the context of almost two decades of food safety scandals in China. And uh, one reason is a very high use of pesticides in the agriculture sector. So China is the largest producer and user of pesticides in the world. And uh, while there has been uh, good progress in in, when it comes to regulation of pesticides in China, the number, the total number of pesticides which are regulated in the country is still much uh, lower than some of the other countries like uh, Japan and the US. Um, Secondly, uh, while the country has also made a lot of progress in regulating food safety, um, one year after the baby formula scandal that you pointed out, China passed its landmark food safety law, which is very comprehensive and which uh, gives out very tangible targets and meets international standards as well. Uh, however, our research found that enforcement and implementation of these regulations uh, still remains a big hurdle, especially at the local agency level. And, uh, and, and China will have to cross this hurdle uh, when it comes to uh, food safety.
0: Now, what about the food security issue? And actually, what does that term even mean? Maybe you can define that for us. You know, has it been a priority for policymakers in China?
1: Sure, Uh, that's a great question. And um, when I define food security, there are two things here. Um, So the first is, are you producing or importing enough food for your population? The second point is. okay, you have enough food, but are your people able to access it? Are they able to uh, buy good quality food? Or is it get, getting wasted in the supply chain? Our uh, report, our analysis finds that Chinese policymakers have prioritized food security. Uh, to give a little bit of context, uh, and as, as we discussed earlier, China has very limited land and water resources when you compare with world averages. However, China has been very strategic about what to produce and what to import. For example, our analysis finds that the country has been producing enough wheat and rice to uh, feed a majority of its population, but its domestic production of soybean has been falling consistently over the years. And uh, this could be because soybean is a very land intensive crop, uh, so it does make sense to import it when you have a very limited arable land. The challenge which is visible now and more so will be in the coming future, will be about reducing enough when more and more uh, of your land is getting degraded, water resources are getting contaminated. And that is why it becomes very important to uh, control the use of chemicals, fertilizers, and uh, use land and water more responsibly.
0: So is this kind of uh, behind the, the declaration of war on food waste? Is, is that... Uh what that whole idea is about and, and what are some of the solutions that you, you highlight in this report?
1: For sure, uh, food waste is a very related issue. And uh, in China, a large, very substantial amounts of food uh, get waste gets wasted during production and the supply chain, as well as by final consumers. And we found some very interesting best practices around managing food waste, uh, particularly in Japan and in Europe. Uh, so the Japanese government has tied up with the private sector in the country, and they're using a lot of data analytics to forecast food demand. So they're using factors like weather, sales, and previous demand of food to generate generate estimates on future demand. And ultimately, the objective is to prevent overproduction of food here. Another big issue in China is that of food being wasted by consumers, which is also a big issue. And uh, this is where uh, President Xi's call for war on food wastage uh, can be helpful in creating awareness. Um, We found that in Europe, where the food and beverage industry is committed to, to reducing their food waste by half by 2030, there's been a lot of collaboration between different stakeholders like industry association, government and private food sector. To address this issue by increasing consumer awareness a lot more, uh, be it through educating people not to waste food at home or by addressing uh, by by adding labels on on food products about expiry dates.
0: Now are there any other long term things that China or actually any country can do to improve the the situation with its security and sustainability?
1: One area that our uh, report highlights is encouraging plant-based or artificial meat products. Um, As uh, I highlighted before, China's meat industry has been a source of many food safety issues like the African swine fever. And another more compelling reason is the environmental liability of the meat sector. More than half of emissions in the food sector arise from the meat industry. And uh, our, our experts Suggested that plant-based meat can be a sustainable alternative, and we expect the sector to grow fast to almost 20 times its current size in the next next decade. And finally, Chinese consumers are more accepting of these alternatives because of of the rising food safety concerns in the country. So yeah, these these uh, offer a, a great sustainable alternative to to uh, you know the meat meat industry.
0: So as a final takeaway, since we're just about out of time here, how does the carbon footprint of agriculture play into the sustainability aspect? Are there any signs on that front that carbon intensity might start coming down rather than growing along with the demand and growing wealth in China?
2: Well, it's it's a massive story because uh, China is uh, the largest uh, emitter a CO two emitter from from agriculture in the world, uh, almost double the CO two emissions of the United States, for example. So already we're we're talking about the world leader, and China's domestic consumption of meat, in particular, is still growing, and and just a fraction of what you see in in many advanced economies. So unless you can really get get a hold of the emissions intensity. Throughout the supply chain, uh, we're we're going to have a big challenge in terms of agriculture's contribution to climate change. Now, the good news is that I think you know, as as we've highlighted a bit today, there are a lot of things that that China can do uh, to to attack this from multiple fronts. As as Ritu was mentioning, food wastage is is a big part of that. Um, you know, it, it, there are some estimates that as much as thirty percent of the food that uh enters china's food supply chain doesn't actually get consumed. You know, that the, there is an emissions cost associated with all that. So eliminating that waste would be helpful. If you can uh reduce the uh the the fertilizers that are used on land. Uh a lot of that can be done through education and and uh and and bringing down emissions at the source of the farm. And then finally one thing that we didn't really talk about here is is um, actually has to do more with market structure. You know, China's food supply chain has a lot of different players. I mean, by some estimates, you know, many thousands of, of producers, distributors, I mean, the distribution networks alone. You know, we think of a lot of people in China getting their food from, you know, very traditional market that probably hasn't changed a lot. And, and there are a lot of people feeding into that particular supply chain. You know, some market consolidation may actually be good because it it makes it a bit easier for regulators. Uh, it's it's a bit easier for companies to monitor the, the compliance in their supply chains, and uh, also probably frees up some investment into you know some of the the the, the production techniques and distribution uh, the mechanisms that are important for bringing down emissions in general. So, you know, I think our story is uh, cautiously optimistic that we feel, you know, this is a real problem. Uh, we, we, we weighed in on this issue because we do feel it is going to be one of the great challenges of, of China's um, public sector for the next, next next few years. But there are some solutions and our hope is that uh, we see these implemented here in, in, in the near future.
0: Great. Thanks for your time. Uh, thank you both.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: And thank you all as well for listening and spending the half hour with us. For more on the Economist Intelligence Unit's research, please visit our website, perspectives.eiu.com. And if you're interested in reading the full China's Food Future report, check the show notes for a link or search China's Food Future using the search box on our website. As always, if you have any feedback or questions, about this podcast or any aspect of work from the Economist Intelligence Unit, you can email to asiaperspectives at economist.com. Thank you again from the editorial team, and please subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode.